The second to last words that Jesus utters as he's hanging on the cross are, I am thirsty. I'm thirsty. It's actually kind of a curious thing uh, for the Gospel of John to record. On one hand, uh, it's to be expected. Here is Jesus who is fully human. We talked about that last week. He's just suffered through the night, no sleep, been beaten, been scourged, been mocked, been gone through just incredible suffering, has not had anything to drink for hour upon hour upon hour. He is hanging on a cross, and according to the Gospel of John, the second to last thing he says is, I'm thirsty. And this is understandable, of course, as a human, after all he's been through, he's parched. We can understand that feeling. But as is often true in the Gospel of John, the statement is not only true at sort of the surface level, there's more going on to Jesus' declaration that he's thirsty. It reminds us that in John chapter 4, when Jesus met a woman who had lived a sinful life and who had suffered greatly at the hands of others, she expressed her need in the form of thirst that she was thirsting. And thirst represents our longings, our desires, our jaded desires, living life in a world that is full of suffering. And in John chapter four, Jesus offers to her living water. Water that she, when she drinks it, will never thirst again. But on the cross, Jesus is thirsty. The fountain of living water, thirsting. It's a sign that he's dying. His life is ebbing away. It's a sign that he understands what it's like to live in a broken and sinful world. In a dry and parched wilderness that is this life. Jesus is experiencing that in a very acute way. And so he's thirsty. but it means even more than that. John introduces Jesus's second to last statement, I am thirsty, saying it's a fulfillment of the scriptures. Now there's not one Old Testament passage that this is a fulfillment of, but it's a fulfillment of a general idea from the Old Testament, perhaps summarized best in Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is the psalm where it says, as the deer thirsts for the water, so my soul thirsts for God. And thirst not only represents the sufferings of this life, it represents the fact that apart from God, we dry up and die. And on the cross, Jesus is thirsty for his father's presence. His soul is longing for God the Father to be near him, to comfort him, to encourage him, to strengthen him. And the words, I am thirsty, is a veiled way of reminding us that God the Father has turned his back on Jesus. 
on the cross. That there will be nothing that will come to alleviate Jesus's struggle and his suffering. Well, when he says, I am thirsty, someone nearby hears and says he wants a drink. And so they give him a sponge full of wine vinegar and Jesus takes a drink. And you're like, what is this about? Well, on one hand, it's a small mercy given to a dying man. But on the other hand, it's actually a reminder. There is nothing that's going to help Jesus. He takes a drink, but it doesn't satisfy his thirst. Either physically or spiritually or in his deepest longing in God, his father being near him at this time. And so in many ways, that drink of wine vinegar is the symbol of hopelessness. There is nothing on this earth nor anything that Jesus is allowed to do for himself that will rescue him. And so as soon as he's done taking that drink and literally all hope is gone, he utters his last words on the cross. It is finished. And then he bows his head, gives up his spirit, and dies. This is the crucifixion of Jesus, the Messiah. We've been going through a series in the book of Titus on sound doctrine. And we've talked together about a number of truths as they've appeared in the scriptures. We've used this chart to help us keep track of where we're at. We began with the glorious doctrine of creation. We've talked about election, redemption, Messiah, exile. Last week we heard the beautiful truth of the incarnation that Jesus became a human for us. And today we cover the crucifixion and the resurrection. The first half of the sermon, we're going to talk through the crucifixion. The second half, we're going to look at the resurrection. Now I've told you the story of Jesus' crucifixion as given to us by the Gospel of John. The Bible tells us so much about the crucifixion But the big question for you and for me, Jesus died on a cross in obedience to God the Father. That's why he says his very last words on this earth are, it is finished. The reason he became incarnate, the reason he became one of us was to do this thing. It led him to the cross to die on a cross for us. And so when he is dying, his last words are, it's finished. But the question is, why did God the Father ask Jesus to be crucified? Why did God the Father plan for Jesus to become one of us so that he could die on a cross for us? The Bible gives lots of reasons. 
I'd like to walk us through four of them this morning. The first is this. Jesus's crucifixion pays the debt of our sins. Jesus's death on a cross pays the debt of our sins. Colossians 2 verses 13 to 14 say this. When you, meaning you and I, were dead in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our flesh, God made us alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, and then listen to this language, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. The language here, it's beautiful language, it's powerful language, and it's basically framing our lives and the ways in which we have fallen short of what God wanted from us. All of us have done things we shouldn't have done, and all of us have not done things we should have done. And so Colossians frames that in terms of IOUs. That we have accumulated for ourselves indebtedness. IOUs to God. We cheated on a test this week. God, I owe you an honest performance on a test. We don't help a friend who's in need financially. God, I owe you $1,000 that I should have given to help. We get angry with our children without reason. God, I owe you a quiet and gentle spirit. And you can imagine over our lives, we have accumulated an incredible number of IOUs. But do you hear what Colossians says God does with those IOUs? He takes the stack of them and he nails them to the cross. Now, Romans, meaning in the time of the Romans, when they crucified someone, they nailed the charge that the person was being crucified for above them. This is why Pilate tells us that Jesus is crucified for being the king of the Jews. That's the charge that is hanging above his head. But Colossians helps us realize he's actually dying for other charges. The charges that are hanging above his head are my charges, your charges. They're our IOUs. The things that we owe God have been nailed to the cross and Jesus is dying for my unfaithfulness, for my selfishness, for my gossiping, for my anger, for my failure to be the person God wanted me to be. That's the charge and Jesus is paying it for me. And so the first reason why God the Father asked Jesus to be crucified is that you and I got a whole bunch of IOUs and we're never gonna be able to pay them. And so through Jesus' death, he takes those IOUs, nails them to the cross and Jesus pays our indebtedness. The second reason why God asked Jesus to be crucified Jesus' crucifixion 
saves us from exile. Jesus' crucifixion saves us from exile. We talked a couple of weeks ago how the whole world is in exile, separated from God because of our own willful choices to leave God out of this world and out of our lives. But Romans 5 says, in the midst of our running away from God, you see, at just the right time, when we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, it's like when you have a fight or a disagreement with your spouse or a close friend or a parent, and there is that hanging tension in the room. Maybe you're no longer arguing or saying difficult things to one another, but there's that tension of like, are we okay here? And in the midst of that, both parties, there is a sense of estrangement. Something is wrong. You can feel it in the friendship. Like, it used to be better and it's not that way and I can't exactly say what it is. There's something in between us that's driving a wedge and no one's talking about it. And then one person makes dinner for the other or buys a gift or invites out on a date or sits down and has coffee with them. And there is the theological and practical word for that is reconciliation. All of a sudden that tension is gone, that estrangement has disappeared. Jesus' crucifixion is God's olive branch to us. While we were running away from him, while we were estranged from him, while there was that tension between us and God, God made the first move and said, I love you. I love you enough to give my son to die for you and for me. And this is what rescues us out of exile. It rescues us out of that alienation from God. It is God pursuing us. He has every right to sit back and say, you sinned against me, you make the first move. But he demonstrates his love for us in that he asks his precious son to give his life as an olive branch, as an offering, as a demonstration of his love so that we might no longer be estranged from God. The third reason why Jesus was crucified is his crucifixion makes atonement for our sins. You're like, well, that sounds a lot like point number one. It does, but these are different points. Point number one is about debt. We owe God something. We owed him proper behavior and didn't give it to him. We gave him instead sinful behavior and we owed him something. This point is different in that it is about the fact that our sins are an offense to God. They are offense to his righteousness and his holiness. You can think about it this way. If a whistleblower at a company is fired from her job for being a whistleblower, 
on one hand, she's owed wages that she no longer can earn because she got fired. That's point number one. Point number three, this point, is there is something unjust about the firing. She shouldn't have been fired for doing what was right. There's something wrong and justice has to be served. That's this point. And Jesus' crucifixion satisfies God's wrath at our sin. Romans 3 says it this way. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. That sacrifice of atonement, what that means is our sins had wronged a just and holy God. And Romans goes on to say, in order for God to both be just and the one who justifies sinners, Christ had to die to make atonement, to cleanse us, to deal with the fact that there is injustice in this world and to make wrongs right. The fourth thing that Jesus' crucifixion does for us is Jesus' crucifixion saves us from death. Now I have to be careful how I say this because Christians still die. But our experience of death is radically changed by Jesus' death, so much so that in the Bible, we tend not to use the word death after Jesus' death and resurrection. We tend to use, the Bible tends to use the word sleep or sleep in death. And that's because, yes, although Christians will continue to die, our experience of death after Jesus' crucifixion is radically altered. Meaning that at the moment of our death, Jesus himself comes and gets us and takes our spirit to be with him forever in heaven, waiting for the resurrection of the body that at no time do we ever experience separation from God, meaning that what the world thinks of as death, you and I are just not going to go through. We do still die. But Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live. And even though they die, they will continue to live. And Jesus' death so radically alters what happens at the end of our life that we really are better off calling it sleep than thinking of it as death. Jesus' crucifixion pays the debt of our sins. It saves us from exile. makes atonement for the wrongs that we've done. And Jesus' death saves us from real death. But God did not abandon Jesus to the grave. That even though he thirsted, even though he suffered, even though he died, God stepped in and on Easter Sunday raised Jesus from the dead. And in many ways, you can think of 
the crucifixion as what Jesus does in obedience to the Father, in many ways you can think of the resurrection as what the Father does in honor of Jesus's obedience. Romans 1 says it this way. Regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now at first blush, when you read that verse, it might sound like Jesus became the son of God through the resurrection. But if you notice at the very beginning in verse three, he's already the son regarding his son. What happens at the resurrection is that the son of God, Jesus, is vindicated and exalted meaning that he is shown to be who he truly is, the son of God. And that he's shown to be that in power. And that everything he claimed, that he was God's representative on earth, that he is God himself in the flesh among us, that he was holy and righteous and just, the resurrection vindicates all of those claims. And at the resurrection, Jesus is exalted in a unique way. He became obedient to death. Therefore, the father in the resurrection raises Jesus up and gives him a name that is above every name. The resurrection is when Jesus moves from being the Lord to being our Lord. And at the resurrection, God appoints Jesus to be the judge of all humans, the living and the dead. Through the resurrection, God appoints Jesus to be our Lord and all authority in heaven and earth is given to Jesus because of his great act of obedience so that on our behalf, Jesus has all authority. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus, it represents his human name. Christ, Messiah, that's his Jewish title. And Paul says in Romans, but now he has something else affixed to it. Our Lord. And in his resurrection, the Father honors Jesus and makes him Lord of all things. Now his resurrection is not only a blessing to Jesus, it's a blessing to us as well. The Bible lists many, many blessings that come to us because of Jesus' resurrection. I'm going to share four with you this morning. Number one, Jesus' resurrection makes our resurrections possible. Jesus' resurrection makes our resurrections possible. I'd like to ask by show of hands, how many of you in the past 12 months have lost someone you love to death, to sleep? <laughs> a Christian uh, who is no longer here. Go ahead, raise your hand for a moment. Look around the room for just a second. There's a lot of pain represented in those hands. There's a lot of loss. 
Listen to what Jesus says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who, and then notice the phrase, sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Every one of us knows what it's like to lose a loved one. And those who we love who are Christians, who are believers in Jesus, there is coming a day in which there will be a procession. And all those who sleep in death, their souls are right now with God in heaven. This also includes, by the way, babies who are aborted, miscarriages, children who die before they're able to understand, those who are not mentally able to grasp what God did for them, all those who die will return with Jesus and Jesus is leading the procession. Can you imagine that day? Jesus's resurrection makes resurrection possible. All those loved ones that we raised our hands for, all those loved ones that we came to mind that we thought, I want to see them again. Those who die in Christ, we will see again. And we will live with them forever. Why? Because our Lord was raised from the dead. And all those who are connected to him will come with him and experience resurrection themselves. The second great blessing of the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection makes possible new life now. Jesus' resurrection makes it possible for us to live a new life now. Romans 6 says it this way. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It works like this. In Jesus' resurrection, he was not just brought back to life, he was raised to be the Lord of all things. He is ascended and crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. There is nothing in all creation that is not under Jesus' authority save God the Father himself. But remember at his resurrection, he's not just Jesus the Lord. He's who? Our Lord, which means we are connected to him. Think about it this way. What if it was your dad who was just named the coach at Michigan State for football uh, this coming year? You can imagine that all of a sudden your life would radically change. That all of a sudden if you walked on campus at Michigan State, people are going to treat you differently. The football players are going to treat you differently. You're probably going to get a whole bunch of free clothing, free food, tickets to games, right? Why? Simply because you're connected to the person who has been named football coach at Michigan State University. 
This is what this is saying. You and I are connected to the person who has been named Lord of the universe. Which means immediately those blessings and benefits begin to flow to us. Which means Satan, sin, and death cannot be Lord over you or me because we are connected to the resurrected Lord. Paul says, you can start living like the son of the Lord now. Yes, we're still waiting for our sinful natures to be done away with. But there is nothing that Satan, sin, or death can order you to do because Jesus is Lord. You and I may choose to obey them, but we don't have to. Jesus' resurrection makes it possible to start living differently now. And although Satan, sin, and death don't want you to know it, you have a new Lord, and there is nothing they can do about it. The third thing that Jesus' resurrection does for us. Jesus' resurrection carries us through the sufferings of this life. I know many of you in this room have experienced the loss of a child. It is a gut-wrenching, soul-tearing, perhaps the way in which the universe most feels broken, to lose a child. Everything about that screams out, it's not supposed to be this way. There are all sorts of suffering in life. But as I prayed this week, the Lord said, use that one as the example. And something about losing a child is so heart-wrenching and so soul-tearing that God says, this is the example I want you to use with them. Because God tells us this in Philippians chapter three. I want to know Christ Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That thirst that Jesus experienced on the cross, that absence, that pain, and the loss of a child, we feel that thirst in the sufferings of life. But listen to what this verse is saying. Because Jesus is resurrected, when we go through the sufferings of this life, the loss of a child, divorce, financial ruin, sickness, whatever it may be, the promise of God is that Jesus will walk with us through it. Now, this might be hard to understand. It's hard to wrap my mind around. When Jesus was on earth as a human, he could only be in one place at a time. Through the resurrection, it is now possible for Jesus to be 
all places by his spirit at all times, which means because Jesus is resurrected, the one who knows thirst, the one who knows what it's like to lose a loved one, the one who knows what it's like to face death will be literally with us as we go through suffering. He's the one holding our hand. He is the one wrapping his arm around us. He is the one on whose shoulder we cry and we weep and the resurrection makes it possible for Jesus to be present with us through every suffering of life. This is why when the disciples are like, no, 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 don't go away, Jesus is like, you don't understand. If I go away, through the Spirit, I will always be with you and everyone who goes through suffering. And the promise of God is that nobody will ever experience what Jesus experienced for us which was being by themselves in the midst of suffering. And what he suffered for us, he did it so that we would never be alone. And whatever we go through, the promise of God is as we participate in sufferings, Jesus will carry us through them. The final benefit of the resurrection that I'm covering with you this morning. Jesus' resurrection gives meaning to our labors in this life. I don't know if you ever read the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. I read it sometimes and think, wow, this is super discouraging. (laughs) I think, Lord, why did you put this book in the Bible? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Life is meaningless. And you read it sometimes and you just think, wow, life sucks. Well, that's the point of the book. (laughs) To be honest, Jesus put the book in the Bible to show us life apart from the resurrection, stinks. There's a meaninglessness to it. There is a vanity to it. All the work, all the labor, all the projects, all the fun. At the end of the day, death casts a shadow over all of it. And the book, the reason we read it is to realize, yeah, that's how I feel about life sometimes. But everything changes in the New Testament after the resurrection, so much so that in 1 Corinthians 15, after an entire chapter on the resurrection, Paul closes with, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Ecclesiastes, bad news, is the foil for the resurrection's good news. That because of Jesus' resurrection, the work, the labor, the relationship, the prayers, the efforts, the things we put in in this life are not in vain. That because Jesus is raised from the dead, there are things that we can do that we can give our life to that we're not wasting our time because all those deeds will be rewarded. All those efforts will be honored by God. And just like in his resurrection, Jesus was vindicated and honored and rewarded, so in our resurrections, we will experience vindication and honor and reward. All of it because our Lord was raised from the dead. Jesus' resurrection does all these things and more for us. So as we close, let me say this. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. 
Jesus was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And for those who are here this morning who are not yet Christians, God did all of this to pay for your sins because he loves you, because he wants to make right the things you've done wrong, because he wants to save you from death, because he wants to raise you back to new life and let you be with those you love forever. Because he wants you to live in new life now. Because he does not want you ever to go through suffering by yourself. And he wants your life to matter. And to be something that you can give yourself to that will bring fulfillment and meaning to life. And if you hear these words that Jesus was crucified for your sins. And raised from the dead for your salvation. You're saved. For those of us who have accepted those things, it's always a great reminder that these aren't just words on a page, but truth that changes everything. And so we have the opportunity this morning to celebrate with three of our brothers and sisters who are being baptized, celebrating their own death and resurrection in the life of Jesus. Let me pray for us, and then we will get to experience and celebrate with Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.